Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. Today, I have Jason Tenori, owner and doctor at Finger Lakes Dental in the greater Rochester, New York area. Jason has a really interesting story. He's been very, very successful. I'm excited to dig into this. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So first off, Finger Lakes Dental is pretty big. How many practices do you have? Uh, We have seven practices in our group. Uh, Five of them are general dentistry practices branded as Finger Lakes Dental Care, and then two pediatric practices uh, with different branding. So that's pretty amazing. Most people are, when they think they have two practices, they think they've arrived. You're like, I've got seven and I'm still trying to grow more, right? Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. At two practices, uh, I felt like I had arrived and uh, I felt like I had, uh, I knew it all. Uh, and then wisdom slapped me right across the face and uh, <laughs> I realized I didn't know what I didn't know. So, Well, it takes a unique skill set to go from one to two to even seven and you've been doing this a while and you've seen a lot and you've coached a lot of people. Talk about what made you go, just keep going to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and, and maybe even beyond that. Well, I can't speak for everyone, only for myself and, and what really drives me or, or at the time when I decided to make this decision, what was driving me. And I just got bored. I just got complacent and uh, the money was great. Um but I just was waking up every morning and felt uh, the call to do something different. And, um, you know, after kind of reflecting on what that would be, I just decided that I wanted to create and build an organization that grew people that just not, not necessarily patients per se, but team members. I wanted to bring on as many team members as I could and create an awesome opportunity for them, grow them, make them the best version of themselves. And, uh, it's worked out. And that's really what gets me out of bed. Like I love clinical dentistry. I love the patients, but I really, really enjoy bringing on new team members and creating careers for them, creating opportunities for them that they may not have otherwise had. Well, speaking of that, how many associates do you have? We have 14 general dentistry associates and four specialists. Wow. That's impressive. So I see when I talk to people, this, what I call this continuum of owning a job on one end of the spectrum and owning a business on the op, on the other end. Now, owning a job can be fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It can be a little bit of what I call a lifestyle practice, but owning a business is where wealth is created. And you do a lot of coaching for people. What do you see as the biggest challenge for people to go from owning a job to trying to build a business? Great question. So first and foremost, I think there's a lack of clarity with what they really want. And, and at least in my mastermind groups where, where there's a lot of high achievers, people are growing by default. They're growing because everyone else is growing. And if that's not really part of their personal vision, then it's hard to get them motivated to do the things that they need to do 
to grow a group practice. So the first thing they need to do is really decide like, this is, this is what I want out of life, right? Cause there's nothing wrong with a lifestyle practice of someone that makes four or $500,000 really well run. And it supports other things that they want to do in their life. But if they're truly committed to growing a group practice, that is just a matter of really making sure that you're on board with growing people. You know, we have 150 employees and I just had a leadership retreat yesterday. And the main message was I cannot be in front of 150 people. So the 20 leaders that I had in the room, I'm trying to grow them. I'm trying to teach them to be my mouth, my ears, my eyes, and treat people like I would treat them if I were their team leader. So that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. But in my opinion, what we're trying to do, it's really the only way to grow an organization that's founded in great culture and great people. You hear sometimes a little bit about growing people. I've heard that before. Sometimes it it can become cliche, but I get the impression from you that it's not cliche. Otherwise, you wouldn't put forth the work you're putting forth to do that. So when you talk about growing people, talk a little bit more, a little bit more about what that means from your perspective. So we're a servant leadership organization. And when I talk about growing people, it means making sure that they understand what I mean by servant leadership. And we have a set subset of principles that are involved with servant leadership, patience, kindness, humility, honesty. There's eight of them and really kind of getting granular on those eight principles of servant leadership and making sure that my leaders understand exactly how I want them to treat their teams as far as onboarding, as far as training, as far as weekly and monthly check-ins. And just, it's all about the relationship. So making sure that my team leads understand that, yeah, we're a big business. Yeah, we do a lot of revenue. But at the end of the day, these people are why we're able to do what we do. And if we're not fully invested in the relationship and we're not fully invested in growing our teams, then it's all for not. The wheels will start to come off, at least the way that I want to run a business. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. So what are some of the challenges that you've come across in growing people like you're talking about here? It's hard. I mean, it's it's hard to teach people on how to grow, but it can be even more difficult for people to get out of their comfort zone and do the things that need to be done in order to grow people. So a great example is a simple example is just someone that's behaving in a way that goes against what we're all about. There's two options that you have there. You can sweep it under the rug. You can say, you know what, I'll deal with that later. Or you can, we use the phrase, go into the storm. You can go into the storm and have a really loving conversation with that person and say, Hey, look, I just want to make sure that you understand that, the expectation here is we behave this way and you're currently not doing that. So I want to make sure that you understand how we're supposed to behave. And I want to make sure that you understand that this is how you do it. Right. So even the the most menial task of cleaning the reception room bathroom, that's someone's responsibility. And if they're not doing it, then their leader needs to go to them from a position of love, empathy, curiosity, and be like, Hey, First things first, were you aware that cleaning the bathroom is your responsibility? Uh, yes, I was. Were, do you feel like you're trained to do it well? Because either you are or you're not. Yes or no. And then the, the best question is, do you understand the, quant- the consequences that occur when you don't do your job? And I don't mean carrot and stick consequences like you're going to lose a bonus or we're going to suspend you. But what happens when 
you don't do your job. What are the consequences associated with that? It's, you know, a new patient goes into the bathroom and they see it's a mess. So what is their image now of the rest of the practice? What are the, in the, in the back of their mind, they're thinking, wow, this bathroom's a mess. I wonder how sterilization is. I wonder how clean my treatment room is. And they start to, they start to question the quality of the practice. So every little task, there's thousands and thousands of tasks that need to be done in a dental office on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. And they all have associated consequences with them when they're not done to a high level. So as a team leader, you need to be able to talk to your team members about each individual task, make sure they understand that they're expected to do it, make sure they're very highly qualified to do it, and make sure they understand the consequences when they don't do it. And that can be hard for a team leader to start to get as they're working with a team member. Now, most people don't do confrontation well, and most people don't like to get out of their comfort zone. How big are those two challenges? Well, that, that's everything, right? So it's, it's going into the storm. We talk about character development all the time, right? So character is doing the right thing, especially when you don't want to. So that's what it's all about. I mean, if you could, if you could dilute leadership down to just a couple of basic sentences, like everybody knows what they should do. The question is, are you going to do it? I mean, we, we see it all the time with our kids. I see it with my wife. Like if I see my child doing something that really goes against him turning into a great adult, I love that kid unconditionally. So I'm going to go to him and have a conversation. I'm going to say, you know what? You can't do this. How come it's so easy for me to do that with my own kids, but it's much more difficult to do it with someone at work. And I'm trying to I'm trying to close that gap. I'm trying to communicate to my team leads. If you really love the people on your team, and again, love is a choice, not necessarily a feeling, but if you really love- Oh, we could, I, could, I could talk about that for an hour. Let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, so if you really love the people on your team, then you'll train them up. You'll, you'll go into the storm and you'll, you'll help them win. You'll make them realize that the path that they're going down is not the path that they should be going down and pivot them and get them going on the right path as oh. opposed to- just putting your head in the sand and hoping it gets better. What do you do? Cause I know it happens with 150 employees. I'm sure it's happened more times you can count when someone resists these things. Is it just like, Hey, three strikes and you're out. How does it work? Yeah. I mean, three strikes and you're out is a good rule. I, and you, know, you don't have, say it like that, of course. No. Well, sometimes we do. So at a certain point you have to ask yourself, have you done literally we have three questions that we ask ourselves. Have we done everything possible to train this person up? And, you know, have we, are the expectations crystal clear? Have we given them the training? All of this stuff, right? So that's the first question we ask. Have we done everything possible to train this person up to do their job well? The next question is, is there another seat on the bus that this person should, should be in? So if they're not doing their current job well, did we put them in the wrong seat? Is there skill set for another seat on this bus? So you have to ask this question. And then the third and the most telling question is, if given the chance again, would I hire this person again? If the answer is no, then you made a hiring mistake and you just need to free up their future and kind of get on with your life. That's a great way to put it, free up their future. Huh? <laughs> I don't know if you stole that or invented it, but it's, it's a great line. It's a great label. So, yeah. so growing, I mean, I like to joke that everything in this world is perfect except for people. You know, there would be no problems if it wasn't for people. And so we're pretty good. It's just, it's just the, the human condition. So 150 employees with seven practices, uh, people, per interpersonal communication is obviously, or, or interpersonal relationships are obviously the biggest challenge that you have 
in business. Is that fair to say? A hundred percent. I mean, people, but again, you can look at it both ways, right? So our success is a hundred percent driven by our people right. as our failures, right? So it just depends on how that, how that relationship right. is managed. But to your point, yes, a hundred percent. So is it fair to say that growing to seven practices, the biggest challenge has been management um, and growing it, the people side of it and the management side of it? Yeah, no, I, I would, uh, I would definitely agree with that. So if, some, I, if I, if I had two practices and I was fat and happy, but I wanted to go to seven, I really need to count the cost because I'm going to have to deal with a lot of crap if I want to go to seven. It's not just about seeing patients and doing the clinical work. No question. But at the same time, I do think that there's a system. Like, let's look at a football team, right? A college football team has 100, 100 but you would know better than anybody. Has a, has a lot of people on there, right? Right. So, you could look at the coach and say, oh my gosh, you have a hundred players on your team. How do you manage that? And he'll tell you, well, we have positional coaches. We have offensive and defensive coaches. And each coach has a team that's manageable to him or her. And that's the, it's the same analogy in dentistry. Like I have 20 leaders in my organization. Each of them are responsible for teams of six to eight people. And we have experienced firsthand that when you start to put more than six to eight people on a team, the wheels start to come off. You cannot manage that relationship in a healthy way. So in theory, we could continue to scale as long as I have great systems and processes in place. And, you know, I think we do. We're constantly refining them, but our systems and processes are pretty dialed in. And we can put leadership in place that can manage an additional six to eight people on each other team. And, and again, in theory, it works out. So you've got seven practices. You understand management very, very well. You have 150 employees. Do you have plans or desires to grow beyond seven practices? Oh, no question. Yeah. So I, I tell my team that we're going to continue to grow until either quality of care suffers or the culture suffers. And don't get me wrong, it's it's not a it's not a, a linear curve of, of growth up. There's definitely peaks and valleys, but if you look at it from afar, we're we're trending in the right direction. So to answer your question, I will continue to grow as long as I can maintain um, control over the culture and main, can maintain control over the quality of care. All right, so let's change gears here and let's talk about the most polarizing debate in the industry today. <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. So how many times has someone told you you should sell to a DSO? You've built this amazing thing. Not a day not a day goes by where I don't have someone message me or call me or make me an offer. And um, and I'm very humbled by some of these offers. They're they're very motivating if if money motivated me. Um, but to answer your question, yes, it, it happens quite often. So you 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 do plenty well fine financially, obviously. So money's not your concern. For, for you, you have a, a vision that you're trying to achieve. And, you know, you know, I I had one person, well, I, I had one person I know sold his practice at 47 years old and um really regretted it. And he's gonna, after he finishes his earnout, he's gonna start start another practice. I just, you know, I think a lot of people selling out to a DSO is a great thing for, for somebody, but you know, I'm, I'm not really a retirement guy. I just tell people if they're going to sell to a DSO, make sure you have a, a plan for your life after that earnout's done because you will go insane. And uh, I think it's nice that you haven't drank that Kool-Aid of retirement and you're just going to keep going until whenever you decide to do something else, if that ever happens. Yeah. I mean, I think the questions that you need to ask yourself is what gets you out of bed? And if, 
if clinical dentistry is not what gets you out of bed and that's what you're doing a lot of, then you should consider pivoting. You should, and I don't know if that means selling or becoming more of a non-clinical owner, a silent partner in your own group or, or, or what have you. But I was just having this conversation with our mutual friend, Mark Costas, like I would worry about what would get me out of bed if I sold the group, because I jump out of bed very early in the morning because I know I'm going to get an opportunity to grow people. I'm going to get an opportunity to solve problems. I'm going to get an opportunity to do what a lot of people say I can't do, which is grow a practice at a grow a big practice and still maintain the culture and quality of care. So that's a challenge for you. People have told you, you can't grow it X big and keep the culture you have now. And you're like, I'm, like, I'm going to do it. And I'll show you. Yeah. Hold my beer. And, that, <laughs> and, and it's funny because there's a lot of people that see us from the outside and they just make these assumptions, right? Oh, they're a big group practice. They're another uh, DSO. They're, you know, they're another uh, H chain or a chain or, or and, and it's, I kind of laugh about it. I was like, well, why don't you get to know us before you decide um, what we're all about. We get that a lot out of the local hygiene school, right? So the instructors are telling these new hygienists, you don't want to go work there. It's a chain. It's a DSO. Like we're a bigger group, but you don't know anything about us. And I'll put our culture and our quality of care up against any mom and pop shop down the street. You would think that the people running a hygiene school in your own town would know what you're all about. Yeah, you would think they don't, they, but they don't talk bad about us as we offer scholarships to half their graduating students. <laughs> well, that's most people will talk bad about you behind your back with a smile on your face. It's, a, it's unfortunate that that's what happens. It is but, what it is. So, cause I've seen a lot of people, they become a dentist and you know, they don't like it. Some people do like it. Some people don't like it and they, and they sell and they feel like that's their only option. But I always tell people, Owning a dental practice is sitting on a winning lottery ticket. Now, not everybody puts the right, picks the right numbers because they're not managing it like a business, but I think it's a tremendous opportunity. And sometimes, you know, I'm like, if you're selling at 45, imagine what it would be like if you grew it at 55. Now, that's my own personal bias. I'm not the one in the chair every day. So it's it's a different perspective. But I mean, what do you think? Some people who aren't where you're at, but like the idea of what you're talking about, what are some things that really helped you go there? I mean, what are some some kind of core values personally and then some action steps for them? Wow, that's a great question. Um, so you're asking me if people were in that one to two location part of their career and they didn't want to sell and they wanted to continue to grow, what would have to drive them? Well, yeah, like, I mean, what's a, what is a key core value that they're going to have to have to really go to the next level? Because you're going to put up with a lot of junk, as, as you have done. And what are some practical things they want to do to grow besides a core value? Yeah, no, super good question the answer is very non-clinical based, right? So at a certain point as the CEO or as a founder, unless you plan on finding a unicorn that you could hire as the CEO or hire as the um, culture strategist or whatever you want to call it, it's ultimately going to be put on you as the founder. And you have to be disciplined enough to want to grow people. You have to be disciplined enough 
you have to love these people enough to say to yourself, you know, I really care about this person or my leadership team or this office or this group of people. And I need to make them the best version of themselves. If they're going to be a representation of me out there in the group, then I have to put in the work. And it's a hell of a lot more work than clinical dentistry. Like, don't get me wrong. Clinical dentistry is hard. There's no question, but it's predictable and we're good at it. What is what we're what is not predictable and what we're typically not good at is dealing with people like you alluded to earlier. So this process of trying to grow people, make them better leaders, you have to be all in. You can't you can't be in it half ass because it just won't work out. Now, you could sign up for every PPO plan under the sun. You could you know, have a, a culture of basically being a turnover mill with employees and you could do, you could grow a, a organization that way. But at the same time, I want to fall asleep at night being really proud of what we're trying to do here. And if my organization was based on employee turnover and hiring people at the lowest dollar amount and taking every insurance under the sun, then, then I would get out of it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't drive me. No, that makes, that makes sense. So if someone's like, if someone really, if a light bulb went off and they said, you know, I've been, I have a lifestyle practice, but I'd really like to grow a business. Where, where would they go to learn the skills to do that? Because the one thing about dentists is dentists are kind of siloed and isolated because they're each in their own practice. Uh, it's a lot different where physicians all together in the same building in a hospital or the same office, a doctor's office, but like Dentists are kind of isolated. If they wanted to, you know, where, where would you recommend somebody go to learn more about building a business? Another great question. Um, I'm a little biased because I do some coaching for for a group out of out of Arizona. So the Dental Success Institute would certainly be a place to look, in my opinion. But business is business is business. People are people are people. So even if you were trying to figure out if this is what you really want, it doesn't necessarily have to be a dental specific um, uh, piece of education. I would just make sure that you're embracing business books like Scaling Up and E-Myth and, and just the classic books that really teach people about how to get out of the whirlwind of your own business, how to, how to not, how to get off the treadmill, as Dave Ramsey says, and start to develop an organization where you're able to generate revenue away from the point of sale. And if that's attractive to people, then, then pursue it. Uh, I just had breakfast this morning with a pediatric dentist in Rochester, just a great, great guy and works his ass off three days a week, making a lot of money. And he simply can't wrap his head around the idea of another dentist seeing his patients and the worry that the quality of care or the conversations would not be nearly as intimate and good as if he or the provider. So if that's the mindset, then then you either need to change your mindset or that's not the path you're going to go down. So there's a lot of factors involved. But if you think if you think that you want to work yourself out of a job as a clinician, then there's a couple of great coaching groups. But I would start with just basic books on scaling a business um, and then kind of go from there. Well, this has been fascinating. I feel like I could probably ask you questions for another hour, but in the in the in the sake of uh, your time, because you you're a busy guy, you got a lot going on. We're gonna we're gonna stop it here for now. But I, I really really appreciate your wisdom and your time today, Jason. It was uh, an enjoyable conversation. I, I appreciate you having me on. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brandon. 
This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. Ross Brandon is a registered representative of Coastal Equities, Inc., and investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc., and securities are offered through Coastal Equities, Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC, 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.